Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. I've spent my life trying to build something here. Growing up, a non-white, non-straight girl in Blue Springs, Nebraska. I wouldn't wish to excite your anticipation. I never asked to be made! You're exactly the hero I wanted you to be. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by Ars Soner. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello! And Julia. Hello, everyone. The three of us write for thefandamentals.com for fundamentally sound fandom analysis. We we changed the tagline. Do you like it? I like it because I it's do. true. We're totally fundamentally sound. It's just more catchy. Anyway, please visit our site for fundamentally sound fandom analysis or, you know, <laughs> news reviews. Uh, we do a lot of comic reviews on Thursday, Friday. Holy crap. It, if you don't already read comics and you visit our site, you're going to get infected. So just as a warning, but it's, it's wonderful. I, I'm now a huge DC fangirl because yeah. <laughs> I think Julia is the only one who hasn't been infected yet. I, I read Elegy. Yeah, it's because Elegy is like a difficult starter. <laughs> I'd like Let's, that. You need to read The Detective Rebirth. It is written for you. Complex familial dynamics and misconceptions about fathers in a fraught father-daughter relationship. Like, <laughs> okay. Anyway, we like to start off this podcast by bringing you some fandom news before getting into our segments where we talk about more specific issues. Uh, so this has actually been a pretty packed two weeks for some reason, but <laughs> the most pressing piece of news, not really, but the thing that we're most excited about and that we think was kind of the coolest is that Gretchen went to Klexicon over the weekend in Las Vegas, I guess two weekends ago for you guys now, because yeah. it will be Monday. And Elizabeth yep. went too. Yes. Our other managing editor, Elizabeth, who knows a lot more about video games than any of us. Yeah. Who's there. <laughs> But tell us about Klexicon, because it seemed to me, based on social media, to be a huge success. Yeah. It really was a huge success. I mean, I honestly can't think of any way it could have gone even better, really, especially for a first-time con. There were 600, not 600, 1,600, so 1,600 people there over the weekend. Um, We had... For a first-time con, that's that's ridiculous. Right. Right. I mean, we had big name guests lined up and then like a couple of random celebrities just decided to <laughs> show up because they, because they cared about it, which who does that? Um, <laughs> Sarah Ramirez from Grey's Anatomy and, uh, Sarah Paulson, who is Rachel Paulson's sister, apparently That's amazing. are the people yeah. who do that. Um, and Waverly Earp touched Gretchen. <laughs> Her oh my gosh. face was this close to Gretchen's face. It is. It's like inches from my face. She called me the real life Waverly Earp and I almost cried. Oh my God. I know. I know. And she told me that when I feel sad and don't believe in myself, like Waverly often does, that I just need to remember that I am beautiful and amazing and special because Waverly is. And I was like, you're going to make me lose my mind. I might cry too. Oh my God. I might die. Oh my God. (laughs) That's so touching. Yeah, because, like, I definitely relate to Waverly a lot also. Like, that's so – it's the INFJ thing, Julia. It really is. It. No, but that's, that's like, actually amazing. And there's How many just feelings a picture. does Waverly have? A lot. Like, seven? No, she or... has a lot. Like, 12? No, that, 
No, that's an INTP thing. <laughs> INFJs have all the feelings and we know okay. exactly what we're feeling. We just don't talk about it. But how yep. many of them are there? Like infinite. Right. As many feelings as there are possible. Infinite isn't really a number. Approaching infinity. All right. Stop being so freaking pedantic. The point Stop is... Stop being such a T. The point is, we have a picture of Way Hot sandwiching two of her managing editors and, mm-hmm. uh, what, what, and, um... Emily sorry, Andrus, the showrunner. And, yes. Is in, in the, the middle. middle. I know. Uh, it's the best thing to happen. Watch Winona Earp, guys. It's, it's a It's so really good. good yeah. So good. And the fandom is delightful and positive and happy and like intergenerational and and their like, showrunner went to a panel and raised her hand and asked a question like, like and not just a question like <clears throat> excuse me i don't know why i'm coughing all of a sudden um emily andrus went uh i hope not because i just got over one um emily andrus <laughs> went to the panel on like the winona erp fandom and her question was what can i as a showrunner do to better help you guys have a better experience like and I was that like, is the dream. Are, are you a real human being? Like, who does that? <laughs> that is the dream. I have to assume there's going to be a Clexicon next year. It seems yeah. like such a good I would be thing. really surprised if there weren't one. Yeah. And the point is, this rose out of media bullshittery doing something really shitty on, on the 100 and sort of exploiting mm-hmm. the fem slash uh, demographic. Mm-hmm. And out of that was able to be this entire convention dedicated to like media ethics and fem slash community and yeah. like celebrating. Like, yeah. D- celebrating queer women. Like the yeah. number of queer women in Vegas this couple <laughs> weekends ago, I think was at like peak levels. Peak queer. Because there was us and then apparently the same weekend there was also a convention for women's rugby oh. in Vegas. So like, I'm was not there a sure. lot of overlap? Or? Oh no, it's yeah. I mean, oh overlap. No, but there's a lot of gay women in rugby. Yeah, there's a lot of gay women in linguistics too. I don't know why. I didn't know that. Really? But that makes sense. Maybe that was just at U of T. Well, I do hear that they're cunning linguists. Don't you fucking dare, Kylie. <laughs> Do you know how many first dates I had to, like, sit through where people told that joke? Ugh. All right. Let's move on. <gasps> okay. Moving on from Clexicon. Let's move on to something terrible. Oh. Yay! <laughs> that's, um, that's the positivity for the episode, just so you all know. <laughs> no, no. No, but um, th- basically, Nick Spencer, mm-hmm. Marvel in general, is just up to more shit shenanigans. There is a variant <clears throat> cover released for... I should have done more research on this. There's a variant cover released for one of their comics that showed Magneto, the Holocaust survivor, as being part of Hydra. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, variant covers don't really mean that's what's going to happen in the comics. It could hint at something, but it could not. However, either way, it's exploiting the idea of... Like, if that was a a piece of fan art, you know, I'd be like, poor taste. (laughs) It's, it was obviously meant to stir controversy. You you don't you can't what make that cover and not know that it would do something. Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's like the Sex Pistols wearing swastikas on their faces. Ooh, we're so edgy. Like, yeah, what oh, the so fuck are you fucking doing? fucking Nick Spencer, the dude who wrote, you know, Hydra Captain America, and the dude who also wrote that comic where like he gets attacked by social justice warriors on a college campus, and they're like throwing things. They're like, "Here's your trigger warning." It's really oh painful. my gosh. He's but uh, fucking Nick Spencer took to Twitter to like defend basically Hydra 
Magneto by saying Hydra Magneto, sorry, by saying that oh, Hydra is actually at this actually they're not Nazis and at this point they're just fascists. Okay, then that's fine then. Yeah, that's th- because that's okay. that makes all the difference to a Holocaust survivor that they're not actually Nazis. They just like came from Nazis. Well, also what's hilarious is that this is the exact defense that Grant Ward pulled out in season one of Agents of Shield, just oh so gosh. Daisy could dress him down and be like, "Um, no, it is in the handbook that they were the <laughs> Nazi science division." Yeah. So maybe like, Daisy needs to dress down Nick Spencer. <laughs> exactly, something like that. But just, like, I don't know, my Jewish rage is already not very well controlled these days, but just seeing this, it's like, even if, even if, oh, at this point, they're just fascists, they just want world domination, they're not, you know, into the the white supremacy anymore. Like, we are the people of long fucking memory, and it would make a difference to a Holocaust survivor to be Mm -hmm. teaming up with an organization that had those roots. So, like, just a very edgy Marvel, very edgy. Uh, also, um, Iron Fist was just released on Netflix. And got and it ripped getting... in, you asshole. Oh, my God, everyone. ripped up and down. Which makes me so happy. I am because... sure these critics will be around in July for the seventh season of Game of Thrones, right? These same critics? I hope oh, so. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Oh, th- this has actually created a new open conversation about, you know, racial exploitation yeah. and uh, sexism in media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> oh, well, be- I mean, part of it is because what's his name? The- Finn Jones. Finn Jones was really, really condescending in this oh, yeah. like supposed conversation that he just like noped out of for some reason. Even though it was really reasonable, yeah. There, there, there's a, a a woman, an Asian woman, who was actually tweeting at him about like why this white savior trope is offensive, and he started being like, "There's a lot of strong women on Iron Fist." Uh, she was talking about racism, dude. She wasn't talking about sexism. And then he like went off talking about how strong these women are because all the men on the show are messes and all the women clean them up. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. He doesn't even understand what feminism is because <laughs> no. if that's a definition of a strong woman. Like, I'm sorry, Finn Jones, that like. I'm, that's not what a strong woman is. Yeah, and then she kept being like, no, the issue is the white savior trope and that, you know, it's the idea that you're mastering martial arts and explaining it, which is already something that happens based on these early reviews that, like, the white guy explains his version of martial arts better and it's more effective. Yeah, the woman is actually one of the, um, I believe she's one of the editors for the Geeks of Color um, yes. website and twitter and stuff so like she knows what she's talking about and she was really like she was really respectful she didn't she wasn't mean or bullying or anything he just decided he was done having this conversation and deleted his twitter for like a couple hours and then came back i don't for some reason like they never explained it we're we're getting on and on i'm wondering if this is going to be a segment in and of itself the good news is that jessica henwick is getting a lot of uh positive feedback for her role and and everything going on with that yeah but um do you want to talk about mass Effect? i don't know just it's i don't know much about it yeah all i I know is they're posting up videos and giving away parts of the plot like they're giving away like yeah giant 
chunks of the yeah, plot. Yeah, giant chunks tell. of the plot. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We I felt like video game news because we do have a game session and it section of our, our site is kind of relevant, but uh, I don't know a lot about it. And truthfully, I've been preoccupied because the Nintendo Switch is out and I've been watching nothing but live streams of Breath of the Wild, <laughs> which looks stunning. But the longer I think about it, the harder I'm having time justifying the cost of the Switch uh, for like myself. So... I don't know. I'll just keep perfecting my Majora's Mask speedruns. It'll be fine. Yeah, it will be. Um, can we talk about Gay LeFou? I want to talk about that. Uh, sure. Okay, so Beauty and the Beast just had a live action movie released with Emma Watson. Mm-hmm. And as Julia said, LeFou is gay. And- For like three minutes at the end of the movie, apparently. <laughs> For that long? It's apparently really short. I like he's a lot like, shorter than three minutes. No, 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 no. It's blink and you miss yeah, it. Yeah, like, right. Just, okay, yeah. Was like, he's it's... just paired off with a random. But what's annoying is that Disney was like overhyping it, like the first gay Disney character that you it's know like, of. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Gays are and everywhere. Like, and they've they've already been using like gayness as sort of coding for bad guys for a while. Mm. And doesn't his name mean like the fool in French? Yeah. Yeah. Like the so. Yeah. Like, he's, yeah. like, the villain's sidekick, and his name means basically idiot, and he's the guy you pick to be gay. Like, Look, good job, played, Disney? He's played by a comedian, and the idea is that it's funny that he has a crush on Gaston. Uh, or something. Or it adds a texture to his character. To the character of LeFou. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. No, it's just, all the outrage about it is just so ridiculous. Well, there was like a theater in Alabama that wouldn't yeah. show it. Like, oh my gosh! Of course, it's there was. not even in the thing. And Disney is trying to be like, "Look how good we are." It's like, um, yeah. And there's people that seriously think that like Finpo is going to happen now. <laughs> like, this is how you're doing it. But <sighs> which I want Finpo to happen. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying. Like, maybe I, Kathleen if- Kennedy is has better. I don't know. Is more in charge. <laughs> Then Maybe. whoever is doing the Beauty and the Beast, I don't know. I'd be happy. Um, apparently, also speaking of Disney, Emily Blunt <sighs> is going to be a Mary Poppins. Is there like I didn't know this was a thing that was happening. I think is there going to be another? This can't be a live action reboot because it was live action, so it's just a reboot. I mean, I guess this the the cartoon scene in the middle could use some updating. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I don't know, but I I think she will be lovely. I kind Mary of Poppins. love Emily Blunt. Emily, oh Emily Blunt is fantastic. I just don't know why Disney is insisting on rebooting everything all the time. Well, yeah, dollars. But uh, I mean, I went into Into the Woods, a huge Santon purist, and she just won me over as the baker's wife, and that's not easy to do. So I I trust her with any role, really. Yep, I agree. I mean, Young Victoria was kind of a big pile of nothing, but whatever. It's not her fault. <laughs> no, that's not. Um, hey, you know what else we're getting another thing of? That sounds promising. Another Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay, can Why? Johnny Depp just, like, go away, please? Well, uh, and they... Did, take your... The footage... Did the footage, the trailer, I don't know what it is. It shows, like, a CGI younger Johnny Depp. I don't, his face is melting. I don't know. <laughs> no one wants him anymore. <clears throat> 
No, not that we wanted this many Pirates of the Caribbean anyway. He's already well, ruined I, the Fantastic Beasts franchise. Ugh. I kind of found it unwatchable after the first one. I thought the first one was fine, and then I thought all of the others were unwatchable. I, I don't understand this. No, his character was always just so fucking stupid, and now he only plays that character in every movie he's ever in. And well, that character, yeah, because that <laughs> character is the kind of character who can only work once. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he, he only works when you've never seen any of the films and you go to see the first one. And then you're like, whoa, this is funny and amazing. And then you watch the rest of them and you're like, okay, there's so more So let's of try that. mixing it up a little bit. Let's try mixing it up by not casting Johnny Depp. I just feel bad because Kira Knightley was trying so hard through all of them. <laughs> like, there's only so much she could do. Yeah. And our final piece of good news. <laughs> uh. So Star Wars is really progressive, or uh, Disney is really progressive, Super I guess. Super progressive. First, first gay LeFou, and now we are getting a female droid. <sighs> should yeah. I the Han Solo movie? Should I express yes. my instant opinion now, or should I wait until you get into a segment? You should wait for the segment. All this right. is a really good transition, because yeah. our segment is going, our first segment is going to be on unnecessarily gendered things. Let's do the like transition droids. music! Now! <laughs> Gaston, you've got to pull yourself together! Yes, unnecessarily gendered things and why we hate it. Can we first <sighs> just, can I first just say about the Star Wars announcement, there was already a female droid. I mean, this is so stupid. They're droids, they don't have genders, but there was already a female presenting droid. And God knows why I remember this. In Attack of the Clones, <laughs> in, in the, the scene. Diner? Where, in the diner scene, and she's like, what can I get for ya? <laughs> Oh, right. I had totally forgotten about that. Uh, remember when, remember when Obi-Wan Kenobi went over to a 50s diner and he talked to this, like, giant, like, many-armed monster about where Kamino was? Sorry I dropped you outside that hospital and ran away. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Don't hold it against me. Remember when there was a guy in the Star Wars universe actually named Sleaze Bagano? <laughs> My point is, I don't understand why this is groundbreaking, because that droid, like, if they weren't trying to put on the affect of a female waitress in a 50s diner, I don't understand what that droid was doing. I I don't... See, I'd have to look more into it and see who voiced that character, because I think the point they're trying to make is that a droid is being voiced by a female... Like, the, the character actor who's doing the voice of the droid is a woman. Oh my god, this is Captain Phasma all over again. Mm-hmm. Right. Who the fuck cares? I don't, like, uh, Anita's uh, Armenian last name. I'm a horrible person. Anita Sarkeesian? Sarkeesian. Armenian last name. Awesome. Um, she has this whole thing about, like, how, um, there tends to be, like, you know, when you have an ungendered <laughs> character or object or anything, the default is always male. And when you have, when you want to have one that's female, you just kind of add on female coded attributes onto it. Like, so you'll make the droid pink. Or you'll give it right. eyelashes, right? Even though there's nothing inherently feminine about either of those things, and there's nothing inherently male about a lack of those things, right? Yeah, like, what is male about R2? He's blue. For boys. Blue. Right. <laughs> okay, and see, my reaction to finding out about the female droid, I kind of went off the deep end, and then uh-huh. one of my um, very good our friends Our entire of mine... staff went off the deep end <clears throat> on our Facebook page. Yeah, yeah we did. So one of my good friends contacted me and we had a conversation about it, which helped me revi- refine my thoughts about it. So it's uh, it's partly a linguistic problem because English does not have a neutral third person singular pronoun. But English also doesn't have gendered nouns. Yes. So like 
In English, it is possible to have a group of things that are all labeled with a male pronoun and have that be neutral. And like, yes, that is a problem. Yes, like the feminist in me is like, that sucks because a group of things labeled with a female pronoun is not like ungendered. But in most in most languages that do have like, you know, sex-based gender as opposed to like animate or inanimate or noun classes. But um yes, if they have sex-based gender, that's usually the case anyway. Like you have like, you know, vosotros means a group of all males or a group of mixed gender people, right? Right. And you have right. vosotras. vosotras that's, is, that's, yeah. If you have like one, if you have a fa- uh, 500 women and one dude, that's vosotros. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Like, this, yeah. like it's a linguistic problem and it, and it is one that reflects like patriarchal power structures. I'm not For denying sure. that. It's just like the solution is not to add a female pronoun because, because yes. linguistically what you have just done is created a gender binary. Yeah. Like, if you have a group of things labeled with male pronouns, that's neutral. If you add one female to that, like, one unit in that group now uses female pronouns, you have created a gender binary that did not exist before. Right. So then basically it's saying, if with, if this droid is the first female, then you're saying all the other droids exactly. are male now. Right. Exactly. Like, and yeah, like you're saying what... that Pac-Man is male because he doesn't have eyelashes. There's a Miss Pac-Man. Exactly. Right. She's right. a yeah. <laughs> So she's female. So that's my frustration is like, yeah. I get what they're going for. And as a yeah. feminist, I'm like, we do need to break down the structure, but the solution is not the one that they gave us. Like the solution is to me to say, to like work in something like, oh, into your world building. That's like, oh, like droids chose male pronouns because, you know, for a long time they used male pronouns because they didn't understand that like male was gendered. And once they realize that human in, you know, English language in this universe uses he as like gendered male, they're like, oh, well, actually we go by they because we don't have gender. Like that's what you do. And then from then on, all the droids go by they and, and you've just solved your problem and not created a new one. They solves a lot of problems. Yes. And it does. Yeah. I tried to get my mom to understand that, and because she's a writer, and she's like, "No, I will not have a singular they." I was like, "Okay." I remember I was like in grade nine. Our English teacher went off on singular they, and we were just like, "But it's so useful. Why wouldn't we use it?" Well, but and people people use said it the exact the same time. thing about singular you back in the day. By the way. People would rant yeah. and rave about singular you. <laughs> Modern English speakers do not realize that yeah. you was technically originally plural. Plural or not like singular. Uh, deferential. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we use singular they in English all the time. Like we'll talk yeah. about, like I saw my friend the other day and, you know, I went to the store with them. Like, yeah. People use this in English language all the time and they don't realize that they use singular they. Like, well, yeah. I'll, say, I'll say something too. Who, if you are not straight, chances are you've been using this for a long time anyway. Because, like, right. that's how I would, you know, talk about exes to yeah, you know, not them. come yes. out to everyone yes. I'm talking to. <clears throat> right. Just be like, yeah, my ex, they're really blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, like, by trying to solve a problem, like, they unnecessarily gendered, like, yeah. something that didn't have gender before. Because Yes, because of a problem with the English language, but... It's like that this is not the solution. I you've probably um careful readers of our corpus of work have probably noticed that um we hate unnecessarily gendered nouns. <laughs> well, like we don't use Gary Stu yeah. ever. Never. Men can be Mary Sue's mm-hmm. and we call Tyrion a Mary Sue often. <laughs> or actress. Oh 
Yeah, although um, CJ on our, yeah. our writing staff is an actor, and she prefers actress for herself. Yeah. And I think that... And she uses actress. Yeah. And, like... She's the only person where I don't automatically edit it. Just... Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> you you have the agency. Yeah. But, but uh, like, a, a male seamstress, right? Yeah. You know? It's that Usually kind of you stuff. would call them tailors, probably, but whatever. I need a tailor. Can you guys think of any uh, unnecessarily gendered things besides droids? Because... I have, I have awards. Awards. I mean, like, when you have, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, in chess, you have, like, grandmasters and international masters. There's a title called international, wo- uh, international woman's master and, like, grand woman's master. And, like, it's a rating that's slightly below being a grandmaster and international master. But, like, it was kind of, like, the idea is that, like, it encourages women to be more prominent in the chess world, right? And usually when a woman right. reaches the rank of grandmaster, she calls herself a grandmaster, not a grand woman's master, right? Um, and like, uh, it's the same, like, the same, like, the grand's mistress. Had, oh, yeah. But like, if they had, for example, like, uh, acting awards that were just like, you know, best actor in a drama without any gender, you know what? Only men would ever win those awards, right? So right. it's like, you kind of have to have that kind of, you know, affirmative action, I suppose, for lack of a better word, sometimes just so. Right. Just yeah. so like, you know, it's not so, like, you, like, we do live in a patriarchy that is, we're trying to be a post-patriarchy, you know, we're trying, and like, you kind of have to make a conscious effort sometimes, but it's sometimes best, like, there's certain, there's certain award shows that don't call, don't, like, say actress anymore, they say, you know, best female actor in a dramatic role or whatever, and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but, like, it kind of, on, it's, kind of at the root of it, it does bug me the idea that, like, being a female actor is somehow different from being a male actor, and it has a separate award, like, as a concept that kind of bugs me, but, like, also what I just talked about, so, you know. Right, right, totally. <laughs> yeah. The other, my it's the same other... job. Why right, does it have it a different word? Right, and we haven't, yeah, yeah, it at makes an unnecessary use... distinction. At least people don't yeah. use the term authoress anymore. Oh, or poetess or yes. any of those other like, well, good God. Well, and because I think what frustrates me, especially about awards is like, yeah. it's one thing in sports where as much as I get frustrated by that too, like I understand well, some that sports that I get really frustrated. Like, why is there a men's and a women's division in skeet shooting? Yeah. Like, yeah, I yeah, get yeah. if you're like doing Taekwondo or something that you would have a men's or and a women's division, but like, you're shooting a gun at a target. Like, why well, even is- like golf? Yeah. Like, I understand golf because honestly, like, there is a difference t- most of the time between the upper body strength of men and women. And so it is, yeah. in a sense, more fair to have separate divisions when things like physicality and power are yeah. involved. Or even like, um, but that's different than acting because, like, being a man doesn't make you, like, any better or different at acting than being a woman. I mean, there are woman. certain roles that, like, are <laughs> are meant for a certain gender. But you can say that as, as, like, for almost every attribute. Like, you know, like, nobody who isn't a little person can play Tyrion Lannister. Like, should we have a separate award for little people actors or something? Like, like you know, like, let's... Like, right, why, right. why is gender the quality that we've picked to separate people out of? Yeah. I think my favorite gendered thing was, um, do you guys know the Lego Friends set? Yeah. Oh. No, 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 no. Okay. So, okay. Here's some Lego history for you. In the 90s, they decided that they wanted to attract girls 
So they came up with the Paradisa Lego sets, which were exactly the same as all Lego sets, but they'd have some pink Legos in it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's all it was. Like, it was just, it it was kind of like these rich people on vacation, and there would just be like a pink umbrella or like a pink (laughs) set of stairs. Like, that was the extent. Oh my Um, gosh. But, like, my mom, I guess, because my brother and I were obsessed with Legos and my sister really wasn't, so my mom bought Poolside Paradise, the set. (laughs) (laughs) because she wanted my sister to play with it and what ended up happening was my brother and i played with it nonstop because we pretended that it was the weekend in the country from a little night music oh my gosh such a nerd and i think he also used it for sunset boulevard so we had like the you know fucking woman drowned in the pool whatever oh my gosh we were a little dark but yeah no we had joe and we had um yeah it doesn't matter but friends is actually different from that so friends is not just that there's pink and purple legos friends is like they made minifigs with like tiny boobs and prettier hair and like bigger eyes with makeup yeah so it's it kind of looks like this like weird combination between Lego and Polly Pocket. Uh. <laughs> and like, it's just... it, very interestingly, with the marketing of the Friends line, the emphasis is always on playing and not on building, as opposed to like the regular default, aka for boys Legos, where the emphasis is always on building. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. so stupid because like there already are Lego sets for girls. They're just called Lego sets. And I don't, you don't have these in the states, but can we talk about the pink Kinder eggs? I sure. don't know what that means. Well, you know what Kinder Surprises are? Do you not know what a Kinder Egg is, Kylie? I do not know. Apparently you're not allowed to sell them in the States because you're not allowed to put toys in candy or something. But, yeah, they have, like, They're the like regular... They're, like, hollow chocolate candy. They're, like, eggs that are, like, hollow chocolate shells with, like, a toy inside. Yeah, there's, like, there's like a toy inside. And they have, like, the regular... They've had them, like... Like, they're German. They've had them for, like, a hundred years or whatever. And they just have, like, the regular Kinder Egg. And maybe, like, five years ago, they came out with a pink one for girls. It fucking annoys the fuck out of me. I yeah, hate the stupid fucking pink Kinder eggs. Like sometimes, or or like and like you know, I'm always like you know. So, son, do you want the white Kinder egg or the pink Kinder egg? And like when we go to McDonald's, I'm always like, would you like the Hot Wheels or the Barbie, son? It's <laughs> like, oh how god. dare you assume which toy my son would like? <laughs> oh my god! And I have to, I have to ask you guys a very important question. Yes. Were were you the type of little girls who really liked pink or really hated pink? Because there's no in between. I think I was in between. I was what? too, actually. God damn it. You are the worst. Like, I didn't like to wear a lot of pink. Like, I wouldn't specifically say, I hate pink, don't buy me pink clothes. But yeah. I wouldn't go out of my way my to wear was. pink clothes. My sister hated pink things, and now she's, like, the most feminine person I know. <laughs> I hate it. And then, like, I discovered hot pink running gear when I was, like, a senior in high school. And that's kind of what got me around. But Well, you want you uh, want your, your like, workout clothes to be happy, right? So it can distract you from the I, fact that you're miserable. I just, I, it was just the neon that made me come yeah. around. And now I'm at a point where I just don't care what color I wear. But I, I have, like, a rabid hatred of pink. Because mm. I was not like other girls, you see. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and normal girls like pink. And then, again... There is another unnecessarily gendered thing, colors. I hate the gendering of colors because a color is just a fucking color. Like yeah. colors do not have gender. They are not <laughs> associated with specific genders. If you look throughout history, it changes all the fucking time. So like, let's just accept that colors don't have gender and like get over <laughs> that like boys don't wear pink, girls can't wear blue. Like 
fuck you, I can wear whatever no, I want. No, it's just that girls can wear whatever they like color-wise, but boys can't wear girl yes, colors. Yes, that's true. Yeah, well, uh, Julia, your son has this issue, mm-hmm. right? Like, he wanted to, he, he likes Frozen, yeah. but he they couldn't, don't, he couldn't you know, find any merch. <laughs> you can find, like, powder blue, maybe, yeah, if you're lucky. with, like, Olaf on it or something. Yeah, well, actually, uh, speaking of unnecessarily gendered things, my sister is having a baby shower in two weeks, and I'm in charge of baking the gender reveal cake. And it's really hard for me not to just think of ways to troll this entire process. And, we had like, an entire conversation where yeah. the three of us are trying to come up with ways to troll it. Yeah, because I was like, I'm going to die at Rainbow and be like, your baby's gay! <laughs> just like anything. Well, wasn't my solution to, like, say, like, just make, like, a normal, like regular like a non-gender color like make like yellow frosting with just like chocolate cake inside and be like gender <laughs> like gender is a social construct fuck you like, <laughs> there's no such thing you want to come and chat with you all right so our next segment is our continuing series about david olshelznik and his maxims of adaptation just to remind everyone this is the guy who did the adaptation of gone with the wind and while he was high on methamphetamines he liked to dictate memos and in one of these memos he um listed out a few of his suggestions to his screenwriter on ways to adapt a text to screen uh maxim number three reads I don't think there is much harm in rearranging sequences, as long as the sequences are as the readers remember them, and so long as cuts in these sequences are made so carefully that the losses are not discernible, right? So basically what he's saying is that you can change shit, even, like, structural shit, as long as it doesn't, like, like, as long as it doesn't perturb someone who's familiar with the source material. Right? Mm-hmm. And I don't really know Gone with the Wind, the book, well enough because it's it's a horribly written book. I've only <laughs> read it once. To like even I I can't really remember any major structural changes that were made. There probably were. Um, mm-hmm. There were like you know entire subplots cut out. I guess you can say that's a stru- uh, that's a structural change, but that's really another maxim. So, but this is more about like rearranging yeah. specifically, right? Yeah, like rearranging mm-hmm. and like um, you know changing kind of like the structure of a work, like you know. Um, if a structure is from a very close point of view, like, you know, expanding it or like really honing in on one POV rather than multiple POVs or something like that. Um, like this is, I think, really the trickiest thing for an adaptation to do well. Like it hardly ever works, mostly because the structure of a text is really just so integral to like the effect that it has. You know, like something mm-hmm. like, like atonement. You can't change the structure of atonement. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you have to have that novel within a novel at the beginning and you have to have like, you know, the kind of fake out at the end and like, you, you have to have those things for the work to have any kind of meaning. Um, and yeah, like, and this is really where a lot of things really crash and burn. Um, yesterday for me when we're recording, but last week for you guys who are listening or we're never in the future. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I posted my piece on the Golden Compass, the uh, adaptation of His Dark Materials, and it's kind of infamous, I suppose, in like the His Dark Materials fandom for a major structural change that they made, where they basically like um, rearranged the order of the two kind of major set pieces of the second half of the novel, and it was kind of like a complete clusterfuck, just because like. <sighs> 
like I know the 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 movie already had that problem with the just like you know going from set piece to set piece like plot 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 and like not having anything happen organically because it just was trying to squeeze too much. But just oh the M Night Shyamalan uh, condition of Avatar. Oh yeah, M Night Shyamalan's Avatar yes. was even worse for that or the Last Airbender yeah. or whatever the fuck he calls it. The Last Airbender. Yeah, and like. And they were trying to force like a climactic battle in the at the end because they took out the climax, and, you know that kind of stuff. And That's never a good thing to take out the climax. No, it's yeah. Don't take out the climax if you're yeah. Like that's. That's also a very major structural change. Taking out the climax, just so you all know. Um, I sorry, I was trying to make a dirty joke. That went way over my head. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go over my. But let's continue. <laughs> Anyway, and, but like the thing is that like usually events in a text happen in an order for a reason, mm-hmm. right? So if you swap the order of something, like you know, like the, like you know, he, uh, you know, Lyra is at Bolivar and then she goes to Svargard, and like there was an organic progression to that. But if you just swap it around, like how does she get from one place to another when it's backwards? And like you have to be a very skilled writer and a very skilled adapter. To be able to do that, and in this case, they definitely didn't. Uh, they definitely didn't pull it off. And then we have um, our old favorite, Game of Thrones. We have one bad thing to say and one and one good thing to say. Can you believe that? Oh my god! <gasps> because because we believe in balanced criticism. Exactly. You, we report. You decide. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck you guys. <laughs> But um, the one example that I really, before Game of Thrones just stopped being an adaptation, um, the one example that really stood in my mind is when uh, Larry, or Jamie, whatever I'm supposed to call him. Jamie, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, in the source material, he is not back in King's Landing until after the Purple Wedding. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, they decided to bring him back early at the end of the third season. Um, and for that reason, his actions... Yeah surrounding specifically Sansa being in King's yeah. Landing made no sense. Like, he and Brienne were talking, and Brienne's like, look, she's right there. Let's just take her. And, and Jamie's like, no. No. Because <laughs> he's just like, no, I think he, like, he said, like, oh, she's my sister-in-law now. It's fine. He's like, no, that, that no. makes it worse. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And, like, the whole, and and it had a very, like, it completely changed the nature with, of his relationship with Cersei, too. Mm-hmm. And just like just him being at the purple wedding and like his arc as like you know uh, his kind of feeling of failure as a king's guard was very much affected by that too. And just like, it, yeah, I like that Martin didn't even really try. He just like made the purple wedding a comedy. <laughs> Is that like, what if he they're going to be here? I mean, we can do an entire episode here. of UBS about that particular episode. I think if we so choose, I think I think we'll need yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, like things well, like, like, arranging, like, rearranging, like, what, like, the character arcs in relation to the plot points is also a very dangerous mm-hmm. thing to do. Because usually the plot is character-driven. And if the, your priority, as I hope it usually is, is the themes of the piece, that's, that's another thing that would take a very skilled writer. Now, that being said, the nice thing to say about Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I can't say this was executed well because this was already the off the, you know, jump the shark mm-hmm. seasons, but they didn't split things up geographically for seasons four and five. Yeah. They right. married 
the events of A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons together and shot it chronologically. Um, Which I, I I don't think any adaptation would consider doing the J.R.R. Gargoyle split. No, I don't think yeah, so either. Yeah, it wouldn't work very well. Yeah. No, and like, I happen to read those books combined anyway, yeah. so the idea that like this was a structural change and rearranging things didn't really occur to me for a while. And that's but... that's perfectly in line with the, with the maxim, right? As long as it's as the readers remember them, right? And as long as the losses right. in the structure are not discernible. Right, but that, that that's a pretty bald example, too, mm-hmm. of, like, you have to make this rearrangement, because I think Martin would have preferred everything to come out at once, too. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, like, like he had to make, he had to make the decision he did for different reasons than the people who would be adapting it would, they would have a different set of decisions to make, because, like, he did it because he didn't want one big, giant-ass book. Like, and he needed something out, too. Yeah, he right. was just getting so stuck. All things considered, I think he made a pretty decent call with the POV. Yeah, I mean like Feast for Crows is just so thematically unified that just you can't complain about it sometimes. But right, yeah. um and just it's all in the title, guys. The Feast for the Crows. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, let's just go off and talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but um another example of like if we're going to talk about the rare occasions where this is done well, another example of like um getting rid of this like we were talking earlier about what this is called called like a split book structure is um the peter jackson uh lord of the rings or in the Mm -hmm. two towers there's like the first half of the book is just like everyone who's not frodo and it goes like you know from the beginning of the end to the story and then the second half of the book is just frodo and sam and And it it begins Mm -hmm. right after the end of fellowship of the rings but it's like halfway through the book right and like you know tolkien I have to really wonder why he put Frodo and Sam's book second, because I, okay, I guess that is the main plot, mm. but oh my god, going from yeah. <laughs> everyone else and how action-packed it is to then just going to Frodo and Sam. I remember when I first read it, I was just like, oh god, and now they're at another fucking oily stream, like, what is this? <laughs> it was rough. Yeah. You mean it was like literally a slog through the wasteland, kind of yeah. like he's trying to describe... I'm sure that's why he did it, and it's all thematic, right? I don't know. I have no idea. It probably... And then the orcs start talking, and you're like, good God, I just can't. No. (laughs) And he also, um, like, he he moved the Shelob fight from one book to the other, right? That was bad, because my dad knows that, like, my I, I'm a little bit bad with spiders, but my mom's really bad with spiders. So we were watching. So he tried to prepare us. He's like, at the end of two towers, like there's gonna be something with spiders. So like the movie's going on, and like they're at Helm's Deep, and we're all, are the spiders coming? Are the spiders coming? You know, Gandalf shows up. We're wanting if he has like an army of spiders with him or something. And then it ended, and it didn't happen. My dad's like, oh, we might have a problem for the next one. <laughs> then he'll just become the man, the um, the man who cried spiders. Yeah, yeah, and then. Turned out Shelob looked more like a crab the way Peter Jackson did it anyway, so whatever. Anyway, yeah, this is a structural change that I don't think many people would complain about, like when you have a split book structure and you just kind of unsplitify it. Um I think I think it's visually yeah, visually a split book like like you know, in in serial uh television, when you have those kind of episodes where you have like you have one episode with one group of characters, another episode with another group of characters, that tends to really annoy people. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I suppose if you have like something that drops like Netflix does, that's, that's uh, Netflix does. That's better than doing it in something that is like week by week. But still, like I actually just, sometimes like yeah, it, it doesn't it, seem it to work as well visually as it does in text. 
Um, and another thing we, we talked about today, the three of us, was um, how visual adaptations often shift POVs in the way that um, written text don't. And the mm-hmm. example we immediately yeah. thought of was Pride and Prejudice. And one of the things that actually, like, it's another thing that really follows this maxim, because I honestly didn't notice this until Gretchen pointed it out to me, that um, they bring forward the revelation that Darcy is helping out Lydia. In right. the, 1995 in the 1995 Pride and Prejudice, Pride and Prejudice yes. because they they cut to a bunch of scenes where he's like doing shit in London and all of that, and in in the novel it's not revealed at all until Elizabeth writes to her aunt and is like, "What the fuck?" Right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so not only have they like you know pushed a revelation forward for the audience anyway, they've also like switched POVs, like they've basically made Darcy a co-protagonist, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's a huge change, but I didn't notice it. Like what? <laughs> right? So that that no. is something that does this well, obviously, because me, a giant book snob, is okay with it. <laughs> yeah. And yep. I, think yeah. That, I, I think that's fine. I think these examples are pretty comprehensive. We could keep going and talking about more Game of Thrones that didn't do it well. Yeah, I mean, we only need, yeah. we only need a representative example for Game day. of Thrones. So I, like, went yeah. on a lunch date today, and he got me talking about Game of Thrones, and I got really animated. And then he backed away slowly. No, actually, he, he, was, he, just he was like that critic in the uh, Fair Game movie who was just like, huh, I think you might have a point. <laughs> huh, maybe this show doesn't like No, because sounds. he admitted he admitted that he had no idea what the fuck the Children of the Forest were. He's <laughs> like, do Ooh. you even know they're called the Children of the Forest? He's like, no. Like, I've read the first book, so... But no, like, they never called them that. <laughs> Victory. Well, yeah. I'm sure the next time you hear us give another a- adaptational max up, we will have more Game of Thrones people. Always. When you have the worst but, adaptation in the history of the universe, that's what's going to happen. When you talk right, about there's always Troy. We always need to talk about Troy, but yes, you're right. Oh, I wonder what those two pieces of work have in common. Hmm. Anyway, we got to move on to our final segment, so let's cue the music. Can we just uh, pretend like that never happened? All right, our final segment. So we talked very recently about hate watching, and we defended it pretty well. But and we and we actually pointed out that you know Game of Thrones, we used to like the show a bit. <laughs> However, there is this thing that happens that you can feel a show starting to turn on you a little bit, and like a show that you love, you can feel it taking a direction, and you're like, oh, I'm not happy. So this segment is called What to Do When Your Media Starts to Betray You. And the reason I included it, there's two examples that are very current happening right now. The first is Black Sails. Mm. And I will speak in very vague terms because both Julia and Gretchen have not watched this. I can't keep up with weekly shows. I just can't do it. Corey already spoiled it for me. Yeah, Corey like (laughs) comes into our group chat and just starts talking about everything, but... Basically, there's been first an upping of violence to the point where there's a few things that they've done that is so like on that line of is this necessary in this amount mm-hmm. that uh, it's really just starting to leave a little bit of a weird feeling. And then they've had one of their female characters like really get put through the ringer, and then there is, is and in the most recent in the most recent i'm not telling you anything (laughs) it's always max of course they would have the sex worker get put through the ringer (laughs) go ahead i'm not telling you anything but you're amusing me right right now uh they also had a death of a major female character in a way that 
in I don't see a path forward. Maybe I'll be singing a different tune by the time this this podcast is out. Maybe the next episode will prove me wrong, but I don't see a way forward for this to have really justified itself other than driving home the point that this one dude sucks or fueling a revenge arc for him. So Man like pain. Yeah. So either way, like it's just not charming and Black Souls is just really starting to like try me with this. And you know, is it is it turning into Viking season four? Mm. You know, is the, they they call it the curse of the season four because like season four Game of Thrones is the one where it like really yeah. went. Whoop. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, but like it's supposed to be a last season too, so you thought that would help it? I I don't know. It just feels like it's it's on. It, basically, Bo wrote a review that it's steering into dangerous waters, and that's exactly how I feel about it. Where it I it could course correct, but it could just leave a really weird taste in my mouth. And it was very much like the death at the end of season two, where it, okay, it's fridging, but is this bad? I don't yeah, know. I'm so confused. I'm still confused about that one. But yeah, let's talk about Monel. We have to move on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So the other the other is you, Supergirl. I, yeah. How about if I let you take this one away, Gretchen? Um. <clears throat> so Supergirl season one. Um. I mean, it had its. Like weaknesses, definitely. I won't say it's like the my most cousin. perfect season of yeah, the whole my cousin thing <laughs> and um like they're like the middle of the season got kind of weak plot wise. Like they kind of dropped it had like some the grung- mid- yeah. like it had it had some rough it had some bumps. Like Yeah. Like I'd call it growing pains. It's a season one, those are always rough. Yeah. Um and season two, like the first half of season two started off really, really strong. Um, and then after the hiatus, things got weird <laughs> for a while. Um, a really long time. Right. Like, oh, Manel. Like, we're me... talking about Manel. Like, I yeah, we're talking about Manel. I'm not caught up and... on the show either because, as I've said, I cannot keep up with weekly shows. The only one I keep up with is Samantha B. And that's only because it's on YouTube the next morning. Uh, <laughs> so, like, yeah, but. And that's about current affairs. Yeah, like, yeah. even, like, just, like, just watch, like, listening to you talk in the group chat about Monel, he sounds fucking terrible. Yeah. Like, so after the hiatus, like, the new, for the first, um, like, what, six episodes? <clears throat> like, the focus really seemed to be, like, Monel's, I will use scare quotes, you can't see them, growth arc. Um, and it didn't make sense, and it was very sloppy. Yeah, and just just, just a mile, mile, mile high recap. Monel is another sort of superpowered dude that came onto the show, and he's from a planet that's not like Krypton. It was like a slaver planet kind of thing, and he's a very like spoiled kind of dude. And he's like, I don't want to be a hero, and cares like, yeah, you do. That's mile, mile high. Right, right. Anyone who doesn't watch Supergirls, it's just this dude, this unimpressive dude who doesn't want to be a hero. He's like a Nilla Wafer. He's like like the Aegon of. (laughs) Yeah, and Kara's just like trying to push him to maybe help people. Like that's that's it. Yeah, Yeah, his arc is that like he comes from like a frat boy. He's like this like really. I mean, he's basically like peak entitled privileged white dude. Like he is the prince of an entire planet that believes in like drinking and partying and they own slaves and he comes and have arranged marriages and have arranged marriages and he comes to earth and is like the kind of arranged marriages where the dude is allowed to have all the sex and the woman isn't uh i we don't know that yet we do know that he believes he's allowed to have a lot of sex 
Um, I don't know if they have the double standard. We don't know because we've only had like his perspective. Yeah. Um, and he comes to Earth and Kara's like, you have powers. You should use them to help people because that's what we do when we have superpowers. We help people. <laughs> and he's like, uh, I don't feel like doing that. I would rather like, you know, be muscle for the mob. Um, like that, I mean, he does that for an episode and then he decides to be a bartender because he likes to drink. Um, <laughs> this guy sounds charming. Like, I'm not even joking. Is he like, hot? he decides to be. Yeah. Okay. He's like generic CW, like white boy attractive. He he actually looks a lot better off the show when he has some scruff. I yeah. actually usually find that very attractive. Um, generic CW so, white like, boy. <laughs> I mean, and that's what I mean. That's what he is. He's generic CW handsome. So on to so how would this like be the narrative betraying me? So the reason I think the narrative <laughs> is betraying me is because. Um, as Kylie and I are going to write a piece about <laughs> this, it, yeah, it's going to be up on the site tomorrow about um, how problematic the trope is. Like, basically, he's a fixer-upper trope. Like, he's a bit he of a is like his arc is that he learns how to be a decent human being, and it's Kara's job to teach him how to be a d- decent human being because she, they're in a she relationship. Dates him too. Yeah, yeah. Like, she yeah, basically she dates him to make him a better person, and. Like, because he likes shrubs. And because he likes club soda. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a good enough reason for me. <laughs> um, so, like, this is not, and we're not saying that, like, this is a bad story to tell. It's just that, like, Supergirl is one of those shows that, um, since the beginning has been fairly unabashedly feminist. And it has all about, been all about, like, powerful women doing things, um, and not about, teaching a, a privileged white boy how to be a nice guy like and and this is taking over the entire yes. narrative that's my biggest issue because like every once in a while they'll get another episode in there that's like the luthers and it's suddenly about the plot line that was set up before right like, yeah oh, because, because right. the main story arc of this season is supposed to be <laughs> how there are aliens who are it's supposed to be about immigration and alien refugees like, that is supposed to be the main yeah. plot of the season. But for whatever reason, as soon as Monel was introduced into the narrative, like, this major plot point was sidelined, except for Luther's, pretty much, was sidelined mm-hmm. for six episodes. And now, in episode 15, they are finally getting back to, like, oh, hey, yeah, you know, the alien registry thing. Like, oh, hey, yeah, we're talking about politics again. And, and journalistic ethics. And journalistic <laughs> journalistic ethics which is awesome but like where has this been for six episodes like well it's been nowhere because we had to take like a detour to like teach monel how to be a nice person (laughs) um and like up until monday i was very much like in grumpy zone like what it where is the show going it's meandering all over the place how are they possibly going to wrap up everything they need to wrap up from like 2a in, mm-hmm. you know, eight episodes. And, like, it felt very much like I was being let down. Like, that they set up this, this amazingly on point narrative about, about immigration and refugees and deportation and how do we treat people who look different from us, mm-hmm. which in the current political climate is like, we need to have this conversation. And Supergirl seemed all set up to have that conversation and then just like drop the ball. 
for just got bored. Yeah, they got like distracted by a shiny toy. Yeah, like is weird. But yeah, like because I was having this experience too, where you're just like, when do you jump ship? When do you lose the benefit of the doubt? You know. Does it become hate watching itself? I mean, it's, it's, like, it's the episode one phenomenon. I know, Gretchen, you liked episode one, Star Wars episode one, a lot more than you thought you would be watching it. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah. the whole, like, um, people were praising the fuck out of episode one. And, like, you know, 20 years later, the consensus seems to be it's because there was so much hype and people, like, wanted so much to like it that it took them years. Like, people went back to watch it multiple times because <laughs> they just couldn't accept, like, they were in denial that it was a bad movie. So they're like, that was awesome! Oh my god! And then, like, only slowly over time did it kind of, like, dawn on them that, huh, maybe that movie was bad? (laughs) (laughs) And, like, now, like, Star Wars Episode One is, like, the quintessential, like, you know, fucking train wreck. But, like, at the, it got good reviews, you know? Like, people were, like, you know, all those exit interviews they have in movie theaters, like, they were, like, over the moon. And, like, I went to see it two times. I never go to see movies two times. I mean, I was 14, (laughs) but whatever. Um, like, and, so, like, I think it takes, or, like, even, even you kind of spent, like, season four of Game of Thrones defending it, right? Like. Oh my god, yeah, you should, I wrote in passion yeah, like when, when you love something, losing that benefit of the doubt can be, like, a very long and painful experience. And I actually did trust the showrunners until they were morons at the end of <laughs> the, the season, drop. and I was like, the Taisha drop was part of it, the pacing with John's storyline was the bigger part of it, and the Stannis battle was bad, um, but, yeah, no, because, like, I was trying to defend, I defended Craster's rape shack, yeah. like, it was bad. No, and, and like, like even like you know, I can hear, I can hear both of you saying with the, both of these shows, like you want to say, I'm going to wait till the season's over to really judge this. Like you both right. want to yeah. say that you haven't said yeah. it, and that's exactly what we tell people to shut up when they say it about Game of Thrones. Like, no, we don't need to see to the end of the season. Trust us, right? Because we've lost the benefit of the doubt. Right, right, but to right. be fair, for Game of Thrones, I did need to see the end of season mm-hmm. four to see where that was going, yeah. and I really do feel like for for Black Sails, this is the last. But like season. after I'm, I'm bad, I've been broken. Everyone was like, "No, no, wait, they'll do something great with it. It'll be wonderful. Wait till oh, the end yeah, of the season." Oh yeah, no. At that point, no, at that won't. point, all, we were like, <laughs> "We've seen it. We understand yeah. it." But yeah, it is about that moment yeah. when the benefit of the doubt switches off. Um, Supergirl certainly hasn't lost that for me yet, but not for me either. But like, it really <laughs> is like I'm. Or like, even after this last episode, which there were many really, really, really good things about it. And yet, like, most of it, like 95% of it was amazing. And then the last, like, scene, um, (laughs) with, with Kara, like, still, like, the whole, all I need is to be Supergirl and have a boyfriend. Um, but I think that's going to go challenged, right? I hope so. I have to hope so. Like, and so, yeah, Supergirl has not lost my benefit of the doubt yet, but I'm, but I'm like on the fence. Like I'm, or I'm getting close to the fence. I'm like standing right by the fence. Like, do I get on? Do I get on? Do I stay on this yeah. side of the fence with the benefit of the doubt? Or I don't know. I know. There's something like, there's something about like being betrayed right at the end. I know this isn't applicable to Supergirl, but it might be applicable to Black Sails, but I'm thinking especially of, uh, Lost. And Battlestar Galactica, mm. right? Or even, or even like Game of Thrones, you know, uh, Turtle Paste has does, does her recaps of the earlier seasons. Like you could see all the signs now that we were going to be disappointed, 
you know? Mm-hmm. Like, rewatching Battlestar Galactica now, like, I can see, like, by the end of season two, they're already, like, so into their, like, stupid pseudo-philosophical monologues, you know? Like, I should have known that the ending would be bullshit then. Or, like, right. Lost. I should have known at the end of season three that they had no idea what the fuck they were doing. You know, like, I should I should have known that. Dude, you don't even know how long I held on to Hope for no, Lost. Like, you, you probably held on until the last, I held on until the very last episode for Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah same. For for Lost, that was me. Yeah. For Lost, I was like, I believe in this. Mm-hmm. The Then the final episode, st- well, okay, Miss Perky, like, smashing the mom's head with a rock at the beginning of the last season maybe got me a little like um i don't know about this but like I, that last episode i was like i'm sure they'll pull it off i'm sure they'll pull mm-hmm. it off and then that christian shepherd is like oh we've you're you're already dead i just started screaming at my tv and like throwing things well and, and here's a good like i can go back to the hundred which is my yeah. other which is you know my game of thrones show where mm-hmm. like i I loved season two and at the beginning of season three, like I was noticing some issues, yeah. like some pacing issues, some characterization issues. But the thing um, is, I'm sure if you rewatch season two now, the signs would be there. Right. Yeah. I'm sure I would. Like yeah. I, I could go back and be like, Oh yeah, I can see them doing that thing. And I mean, yeah. And now it's totally lost my benefit of the doubt. And like moving forward with this season, I'm just like, I hate this. Yeah. I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. Th- that's why it's so hard for me with black sales, actually, because I felt like they course corrected from season one. Yeah, they did. Mm. So then to, so then to see this kind of regressing in this, like that, that's, that's what's concerning me. And that's why it's really hard for me to be like, yeah, it's just done. Like I still, I still really do think these are the same people that realized the error of their ways. So I don't know. I just don't know. Right. I mean, and so what do we do when it begin? like when when we're getting the beginnings of what feels like a betrayal? Like what I do is overanalyze. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you and I have a piece on Monel coming out tomorrow, because I need to break it down and look at it every single way and right. list out the reasons it's problematic and how it can proceed and, and yeah. you know, see, what, see what's going but like, on. Like at some point, right. like, you know, you don't want to be talking about how Joss Whedon is little trash or whatever. You're like, you know, you just like... Yeah, no, honestly, what I normally do, if if we weren't writing for the, the kind of site we're writing for, or just if I was a little less engaged, I stop watching and I start just reading summaries yeah, yeah. and I just kind of watch it from the sidelines. And if I feel like, okay, this is good, I'm getting back See, on This board, is why I like watching I, entire seasons at a time. Like, it's yeah, too just right. too much of an emotional roller coaster. Like, you know, Game of Thrones season is an emotional roller coaster. Oh, my God. Like, you know, it's actually right. upsetting. Uh, well, I mean, that was we, what I did yeah, with I Game know. of Thrones. Yeah. Like, I cut out after season four and then just, like, read stuff about season five to see what would happen. And then was like, yeah, no, I made a good decision. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, yeah, that's normally what I do yeah. if I don't know where something's going. And if I'm not writing about it, I'll just take a step back and wait and see what happens. And then if it gets good again, I'll I'll watch. Yeah. And there's always fanfic. There is always yes. fanfic. There's always fanfic. I mean I mean that is one of the major reasons fanfic exists is like fix it. Is yeah. the fix it fic. Yeah, which can be, you know, hubristic at times, but at, at the same time, if, like, if this is how you feel uncomfortable, like, ga- engaging with media and, like, there were certain aspects that really drew you to a show and those aspects haven't been portrayed, then, uh, yeah, fix it, write it. Like, especially, especially, really like, you know, if you. it's transformative in a way that's, like, you know, 
validating to you. Do you have any idea how many times I've wanted to kind of rewrite the Asami Hiroshi relationship from the early season so that like when she tries to repair her relationship with him, it makes more sense than like trying to repair it with the like mustache twirling dude that tried to murder her and bomb the city. Do you know how many times I I wanted to completely rewrite Star Wars so that Leia's arc makes sense? Oh, mm. or the prequels so that obi-wan's the protagonist yeah <laughs> right yeah I, I actually determined that was my when i rewatched uh the phantom menace my determination if you guys haven't read the star the wars remake go read it pause go read it come yeah back. yeah it's good it's, it's like a conversation <laughs> yeah. and i was actually you know i was so curmudgeonly about reading that gretchen i was like you guys aren't gonna make me think good things <laughs> they didn't make but, me think no, good like, things but it was interesting like you had a point like in her concept, Padme is like a really badass character for fourteen. Like, that's right. That's like that's stupid. She's fourteen. Yep. <laughs> Makes no <sense>. Julia. <laughs> what kind Julia, of stupid political system elects fourteen-year-olds to be their heads of state? The same planet that has all this fertile land but no farms, so that's why there's a blockade that's completely debilitating. I mean, if she was a hereditary monarch, it might make some kind of sense. But they elected a fourteen-year-old. I'm sorry. Maybe anyway. maybe girls mature really m- mature much more quickly. I mean, I've heard the honeypots about how it's supposed to be because, like, you know, uh, younger people are more innocent and they're not like cynical, right? So, like, they favor younger people in their government. But just, that's still truly stupid. amazing. The mind of a child, something like that. <laughs> um, we've got to wrap up, but truthfully, a big thing for me, what to do when your media starts to betray you, is just recognize that that's what you're feeling because mm-hmm. yep. you can spend a lot of time trying to deny it yeah and My, the sooner you, you can just be like you know what pens. yeah like you know what i'm worried and here's why right like, that that's helpful for me yeah that's helpful for me for me too and also to to talk about it like find yes. find like-minded people and talk about it because because again, it's validating to know that like you're not alone in feeling like I'm worried about this thing and I'm frightened about where it might go and I don't want to be hurt. Especially, especially if it's something where you feel like you might get actively like hurt or damaged by the narrative that you're afraid they're telling. Like, yeah, black sales, come on now. I mean, the hard part is like it would be easy to just say like disengage and move on, but then you have shows like Legend of Korra that prove that. A narrative can betray you and then redeem itself. That's not to oh, say. Oh hell, I almost quit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I didn't really like in the middle of that Civil Wars plot line. <laughs> I was just so bored that it would like come up on my DVD DVR because that was back like when I was living in a place with cable. So it'd be on my DVR box, and I just wouldn't watch it for like weeks. And the only thing that got me back into watching it was like the Avatar One episode previews looked stylistically interesting. Right, right. So I was like, let me check it out, and then I checked it out. I was like, oh, okay. I'm back. (laughs) Right. Because, like, and you don't have to wait. Like, if people say, if you're starting to feel betrayed, wait and see. Like, that's fine if you want to do that. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. Like, if you're worried that it's going to betray you, it's totally... you made a commitment to review the entire season. (laughs) Yeah, or if you made a commitment to review... Like, I have to. Um, (laughs) But unless you made a commitment to, like, review an entire season of television... um, you don't have to stay tuned in to something that you're afraid is going to hurt you. And then if it turns out it doesn't, like, awesome. That's going to mean that you can – because typically by the time it's done that, you can just, like, binge watch. And then you can binge watch your way through the awfulness. Yeah. And, and it feels so good to know that there's, like, a brighter end of the tunnel, yes. too. Yes. Honestly. Yeah. Please, Supergirl. Yeah. Please. Please. Don't do me like this. 
Yeah, Black Sails is actively scaring me. <laughs> On that note. Yep. On that note, we got to get out of here. So if you like what we have to say, and, you know, we're going to obviously be mixing it up with plenty of geeky media that will oh be Oh, my God, our merch and our forum. Yay. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Lots of exciting things. So on thefandamentals.com, we now have a Fandamentals merchandise store that Yay. just opened we up. All all most, of the, most of the designs are mine, and I'm pretty proud of what I did, to be perfectly honest. Well, I'm not even going to lie. Because Kylie's even gonna lie. fucking amazing She's with dramatically design. satisfying is what she is. Yes. Um, I have I have a shirt that says dramatically satisfying across my chest, which is wonderful. <laughs> I am currently drinking out of a mug for the Fandamentalist because mm. I am a giant nerd. And I'm drinking out of the mug for this podcast. And I am wearing a our super fundamentalist shirt. Mm-hmm. So Which is great because then you can like pull it off and you're like eh. I can I can have a dramatic was- reveal. I need to start wearing button downs <laughs> so I can like dramatically reveal my shirt. Oh my god, that's amazing. What you have to do is you have to wear like uh, a bodysuit uh, like under your shirt, but it somehow doesn't change like the line of your body at all. But then like you, take you it have off to wear a bodysuit with a skirt underneath exactly. the Exactly. <laughs> And giant red boots. <laughs> We've also got a lot of uh, snapbacks yes. because when I was like doing these designs and going through the the site to see what was available for merchandise, the snapbacks were just gorgeous. They are I beautiful. Like, I need to put. I need to yeah. give us all the snapbacks. I, I don't wear I hats. Wish that I wore hats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, merch and forum, forum. Yeah. Go talk on the forum. We have yeah, we have forum threads open. Obviously, like it's you know the beginning of a forum, so it's a little quiet right now. But we start. Uh, my the thread that I've been most active in is just kind of me and Griffin going back and forth about how awesome Kate is. Kate Kane. <laughs> what? Kate uh, Kane? Who is this? We haven't gotten into our really weird headcanons yet about how she likes Metal Gear Solid, but I'm sure we'll get I'm there sure pretty are. soon. I have uh, the 100 crack theories, which honestly is just like total, it really is like total crack. Like, one of our current theories is that Octavia is the Avatar. Duh. Well... That would make her survival make a lot more sense. I know. That's the only way that she was able to survive off a cliff. Is she's the yeah. Avatar. Yeah. Oh, maybe Arya's the Avatar, too, then. Oh, Ooh, maybe. they all comes together. That's mm, how she mm-hmm. was able to, like, work her way into the kitchen. How? <gasps> what? <laughs> Not even the she made those giant sense. pies. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> in, in Weisseroff, she has, like, baking bending. Well, no, because airbenders are really good at baking the pies remember monkey yeah, that's, some true. that's right oh it's all right. coming together it's all coming together yeah. <laughs> okay we seriously have to get out of here <laughs> but go post about that on the forum drive <laughs> drop us a review on itunes yes recommend us to your friends i don't know why you would after that whole thing but <laughs> recommend us to your friends and we will talk to you guys next time all right bye everybody bye goodbye smoke in vegas just like destroyed my cold interesting yeah yeah that's a gross town from what i understand one of um so elizabeth bridges who was in um she was in my panel her she tweeted out something that said her wife said that um vegas is like if axe body spray became sentient